welcome to my art form. It's time for post-orthodoxy, a show about changing our minds. Yeah, baby. With your hosts, Dark and Ainsley Sevier. Maybe what they believe about reality isn't all of reality. What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is more how do you get there? Post-orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because I got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. While photographing the Capitol Hill occupied zone in Seattle on June 16, 2020, Dark had the opportunity to interview Jamie, a longtime resident who grew up in that neighborhood. Jamie gives his experience of police and protester behavior during the protest and his perspectives on graffiti and right-wing infiltration efforts. This interview is about 13 minutes long. Thank you for listening and sharing. Very good. Um, Jamie. So, Jamie, you live in the neighborhood? Yes. Uh, how long have you been here? I've lived on Capitol Hill since 2012. 2012. I've lived right on the border of the, the current zone since 2014. So, what we've been seeing is uh, there's been a lot of propaganda around uh, what the residents feel about what's going on here. Can you give me your perspective of this has been going on more than just this week. Can you give me your perspective on, as a resident, how you feel about what's happening around you right now? Yeah, so from May 31st through June 8th, my building was behind police barricades. Uh, the police occupied my block, and there was a buildup of hundreds of police in full riot gear, SWAT, state troopers, lots of uh, National Guard and like their full uh, fatigues. Being behind their barricade that separated them from the protesters, I had to go through like a military style checkpoint just to go in and out of my home. Mm. Uh, often had to show ID. Often felt unsafe because a lot of the cops had their badge numbers covered up. Right. And we were witnessing the police crack down on peaceful protesters. People who were just exercising their right to gather and demonstrate for justice in their community, they were criminalized and attacked with rubber bullets, tear gas, pepper spray, and it was really horrifying to watch. Mm. And a lot of the people in my building who went through that ordeal, helicopters circling every, you know, 24-7, sirens going off. Some nights they were detonating flash grenades that, you know, just sounded like bombs. Right. And they just, like, shake our building. And particularly on Sunday night, before the police, the, the night before the police pulled out, right. it was like they unleashed everything that they had under the protesters. Hundreds of flash grenades went off, just boom, 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 and one after the other. And this whole field, this whole park, was swallowed up in a giant cloud of tear gas. Uh, and the tear gas got into my building. A lot of my residents struggled with it, especially residents who already had breathing problems and things like that. You know, when that onslaught was going. Was so you're getting tear gas inside your homes? Yes. 
Right. Yeah, tear gas inside our homes. And I went out onto my porch to see what was happening, and I got hit with the cloud of tear gas, like, full on. And I checked my Twitter, and I saw that there were people unconscious in the streets who had been hit directly by flashbangs, and that the, the, the volunteer first responders, nurses from local hospitals, EMTs, who were volunteering their time to help the protesters, they were also being targeted with rubber bullets and flashbangs as they were simply trying to help people. Mm. And I went down to the police, uh, down to the street, and tried to beg the police to stop what they were doing. They were hurting people. They didn't need to be doing that. I was really afraid for the people's safety in my community. And I was begging the police to stop, and they just like, it was like they just look right through you. They said, oh, well, they were shooting at us. That never happened. It was like they made stuff, stuff up to justify using all of this force that was completely unnecessary. So after that night, it was like a wake-up call to me. Like, this is a broken, militarized system that is going to war against its own people. And I was able to connect the dots between a lot of what I'd learned about mass incarceration and the war on drugs and the way militarized policing terrorizes communities of color. You've seen and the 13th I, bit, I guess. And I saw 13th, and I right. read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander and all of this stuff. But I actually felt it and witnessed it with my own First eyes. Firsthand, yeah. Really, uh, that night. And so the next day, it was just like, wow, this this needs to stop. And that's, the next day is when they decided to leave. Wow. So they packed up all their stuff really quickly. We couldn't get a clear message on exactly what they were doing. You'd ask one cop, and they'd say, no, we're not leaving. And then another cop would say, we're going to let them march through. And then I finally got to talk to a captain, like somebody with stripes or whatever and he was like yeah we're completely leaving and how did that make you feel when he said that relieved that's not what people would think they would hear well, from a resident you, when you've had like a military police state style occupation of your block and they've been terrorizing your block it's like i'm glad that they're going and then my my feeling was like all right so when they leave what's going to happen and what happened was is the protesters came up and young black men and women on megaphones controlled the crowd made sure that it stayed peaceful like got everybody unified on the same platform of like we're here to demonstrate we're here to be to peacefully demand justice for black lives they didn't destroy anything didn't loot anything and the police were waiting for trouble and that was how they were going to justify all their violence but when that trouble didn't happen it became really clear that the police were the problem that they were causing the violence. And when the protesters were left alone, they didn't hurt anybody. They didn't cause any damage. The block got peaceful. It got a lot safer. A lot of the people that I live with, my neighbors, felt safer after the police left. Since then, there's been this, like, mutual, like, during the protests and after, like, this, after the police left, this mutual aid network. You see all these pop-ups. Yeah. All sorts of supplies, first aid, the art that's been going up, uh, like the community gardens that folks are doing. There's been a main stage right on my intersection featuring speakers from lots of different backgrounds sharing their experiences with police violence, doing these teach-ins. It's been this really beautiful thing to see. Mm. And mm. contrasted against the militarized violence that was occupying my block for eight or nine days, this is like... A, a wonderful thing to witness. Right. And once the police left and this 
zone got national attention and once Trump tweeted about it, it was like all the trolls from all across the country came in, mostly by social media, and just started misrepresenting, like finding every any little image, any little thing that they could to then like characterize what's happening here in a completely distorted manner. Uh, it and feels they, focused. Like some of the trolling feels really focused. Like it doesn't feel like a bunch of rednecks saying things. It actually, from some of the things that we've gathered, my co-host found these right-wing trolls on Reddit that were taking leaders of this movement and making templates templates of their Twitter and changing their words. Yeah, and that, sending them out. That wouldn't surprise me, right? It's a it's a concerted social media effort to discredit and criminalize what's happening here. What do you say to somebody who's not from this neighborhood, that doesn't really know this neighborhood, in terms of somebody from, like where I come from in Butte, Montana, we're a, a fairly liberal town, very progressive town, um, but we're not a very urban town. And so when they see graffiti on, on buildings, public buildings, it disturbs them. How does that make you feel as a local? It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother you. No, I mean, I think given all that's happened here, given uh, what happened with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Charlena Lyles, who is a, a, a woman who was killed by Seattle police a couple of years ago, so many others, all of the communal grief that people are experiencing, that, that violent crackdown from the police, like people expressing themselves with spray paint mm. that can be fixed with a code of pain or an insurance claim right when you compare that to human lives to me it's uh, not a big deal at all great I really appreciate that is there anything you would like to say from your own perspective just from from being here I don't know how connected you are to what's what what the outside perspective is of what's going on if is there anything you would like to share aside from what you already shared i just want to i just want to say that as somebody who lives here and who has lived here for a long time as somebody who grew up in this area and as somebody who has lived through the police occupation of my block and all of the brutality and violence that came from them against peaceful protesters exercising their basic human right and then all of the community and solidarity uh, and creativity and collective action to make positive change that has resulted after the police left, right? Like, witnessing that, I would just say, like, if you are seeing attempts to misrepresent and criminalize what's happening here, if you are seeing social media posts or other things that are advocating for outsiders to come in here, and cause harm, mm. retake the chop for America, right? <laughs> right. Like that Fourth of July event that's planned, right? Where outsiders are going to supposedly come in and take down the barricades and liberate my neighborhood. Please, if you see that, call it out as fake. If you have friends that are watching and looking at that stuff, talk to them about it. Try to bring real information to it try to dissuade anybody who's thinking of doing anything like that because that would just bring harm onto my community let us have this moment mm. and mm. see what you can learn from it mm. just as we all should be seeing what we can learn from it because it's peaceful right 
It's not anarchists. It's not thugs. It's none of that stuff. That Those are stereotypes that are meant to make this seem bad. It's really like a, a relief mm. compared to what the police were doing to us in, in just living here. What caused the police to get aggressive with the tactics of the flashbangs and the uh, tear gas? It, it was a peaceful protest. Yeah. Was it a curfew issue? Did they make a well, curfew and told first, everybody to go home? At or? first there was a curfew. And then it was the uh, marches wanting to just march through and the police putting up a barricade. And then it was somebody had an umbrella too far over the barricade the first night. And uh, like maybe a couple of water bottles were thrown or something like that. But then rather than de-escalate, rather than talk to people, rather than have some compassion for what people going through and trying to express having some bring some humanity to the situation they just brought out the pepper spray and the Double tear down. gas and it's like they only knew how to react with violence right that's part of what we deal with in the show is when people are confronted with the choice to do something different Often, fundamentalist-minded people double down on their efforts. They double down rather than saying, oh, we could do something different. And institutionally, it sounds like that was the problem. So the institution, I'm really intrigued by their decision to pull out. Yeah. Do you think there was some ulterior motive to that in terms of hoping that it would get worse so they could come back in stronger? Or The, the best thing that I can make of it is like they doubled down on their militarized ideology. And just kept escalating the violence, the violence, the violence, thinking if we spray these people with more pepper spray and tear gas and hit them with more flash grenades, like they're gonna go home. They're gonna disperse and we're gonna like reestablish law and order. But what they actually ended up doing was revealing the problem in their approach, right? They ended up showing on a big stage, like, oh yeah, the police are violent, the police are militarized, like, mm. they are using excessive force mm. regularly, like, that's their playbook. That's what they do. And so more and more people from the community were like, no, we need to come out and stand against that, right? Right. And support the, the people who are lobbying for change because we can see so clearly that what the police are doing is wrong. So then when they kept doubling down on that, as you say, they reached a point where they couldn't do it anymore. And I think the mayor called them off. And then they're my best take on it is their hope was that once they left they were going to be able to justify what they had done and then come in and crack down on protesters again because of any sort of looting or fires or any kind of destruction but none of that ever happened because the protests were peaceful all along mm. Mm. I appreciate your time yeah on that thanks um, for uh, talking to me so many of so many of what I just the things that I told you about you can find on Omari Salisbury's okay. uh, Twitter. Really, in terms of getting the local perspective, encourage you to reach out to him and his people. 
You can join the post-Orthodoxy conversation by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, Twitch, or YouTube. If you'd like to connect with us online, we can be found on Instagram at post-Orthodoxy, on Twitter and Facebook as ourselves, and on Twitch as The Seviers. Our work on the post-Orthodoxy conversations is supported by listeners like you through our Patreon, where patrons of the show have access to perks and exclusive content. That's patreon.com slash post-Orthodoxy. Post-Orthodoxy began as a live radio broadcast on KBMF 102.5 FM, America's Most Radio. Find other quality radio shows by the 70-plus volunteer DJs on the station archive at butteamericaradio.org slash shows. Or you can stream live 24-7 from anywhere on the planet at butteamericaradio.org slash stream. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal, and a special thanks goes to our voice actors, Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony. Thanks for playing. What's outside your reality bubble?